Hello, beautiful friends, and welcome back to the Health Made podcast. I'm Georgie, your host, and my mission is to be your guide on an incredible journey toward health, healing, and happiness. This podcast is for anyone seeking to understand true holistic well-being while exploring the realms of the mind, body, and soul. Join me as I delve into insights that have not only helped me through my own personal challenges, but have also benefited the thousands of women I've had the privilege of working with. From overcoming negative body image, struggling with self-worth and self-sabotaging behaviors, to navigating heartbreaks, life as an introvert, and undergoing a spiritual transformation. If there is anything you can take from these episodes, I hope it's the realization that you can live an abundant, fulfilling life that feels authentic to you, and you are never alone on this journey of self-discovery. I'm so grateful that you're tuning in. Let's jump into the episode. Hello, beautiful friends, and welcome back to the episode, a very long overdue episode. I am so sorry there has been a bit of a gap between these podcasts, but I thought taking you on tour with me to Bali would be easier than it actually has been. And this is probably the third time I'm recording this episode. The first um, two times there was a firework display going on in the background and then a pack of stray dogs. So I didn't want to put you through the distractions. Hopefully it will be okay today. Um, But we have a very fun topic, which was the most requested episode uh, or the most requested topic on my Instagram. And that is everything to do with hormones. Now, this is such a big topic. There is so much I could say, but I really don't want to overwhelm you. So I'm going to try and keep it sort of need to know what's helpful um, and what's implementable into your life. And this will be applicable to men and women. There will be certain differences that I will talk about, um, but hopefully this can be beneficial for everyone. So I'm going to be talking about how we can essentially get our hormones working in harmony, nice and balanced so that our bodies are functioning as they should. Uh, Hormones basically control everything and they play a really crucial role in regulating so many bodily functions. Um, So when I actually talk about hormones and the endocrine system, what I'm referring to is a network of glands and organs in the body that produce chemical signals. And these can come from Glands like the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, pineal gland, thyroid, adrenals, pancreas, ovaries, testes, basically everywhere in the body. And a balanced hormone and functioning endocrine system is so important when it comes to short-term and long-term health. And the way I like to look at it is we can see the endocrine system as like a highway. And when there is a blockage, like a traffic jam, it can disrupt everything because things will back up, things will become out of balance. Some glands might overproduce a hormone and others might underproduce. And this can happen on a day-to-day basis or over like a longer period of time. So if we see things like chronic stress, it can have a really, really negative knock-on effect on your overall health. I thought it would be easier for me to kind of talk through what happens on a day-to-day basis. I'm not going to go specifically into month-to-month fluctuations with like the female menstrual cycle. That probably requires an episode in itself. Um, But what I want you to take from this is really easy tips and tricks and things that you can adopt in your life that don't require 
too much effort or money um, or even like scientific understanding. I've actually listened to some really great podcasts about hormone optimization. And honestly, sometimes the science even goes like over my head. So um, what I want to do is explain what happens throughout the day in our bodies and give you some advice on how we can optimize these specific hormones and also maybe things to avoid to prevent an imbalance. Now, I do want to say that I'm coming at this from a very holistic approach, as always. Um, I have been down some very obsessive rabbit holes with this stuff in the past. Um, If you listened to my last podcast, you'll know that I like to take health to the extreme or have it at times in the past. Um, And when I've been like more realistic about sort of my approach to optimizing my hormones, I do feel healthier overall and less anxious. For example, I'm no longer stressing about the fact that I might have had my morning coffee 10 minutes too early. Um, And I just want you to take everything um, from a holistic standpoint, do what works for you, for your life, for your health goals. Um, And as with everything, these things should be implemented as part of a balanced approach to your life. If you are really experiencing severe issues, please go to an endocrinologist or a healthcare professional, um, even get some blood tests done, figure out what's going on. I have actually worked with a really incredible functional medicine doctor when I was experiencing issues with my thyroid, which I will get into. Um, But yeah, if you are experiencing kind of severe symptoms of of a hormone imbalance, go and see someone. Um, This advice is more for people that just want to make sure things are ticking along nicely. So let's jump into each hormone. I'm just going to start with the first hormone that's that's released in the morning, talk you through what happens throughout the day when you sleep right through to the next morning. So the first one is cortisol and cortisol is referred to as our stress hormone. It's actually got kind of a bad rep at the moment, Um, but cortisol levels typically start to rise within 30 minutes of waking. And this is actually a natural essential part of the body's daily hormonal rhythm. And this process is actually, it has a term, it's called the cortisol awakening response. And this is a good thing. We want this cortisol spike because it plays a role in increasing alertness, helping you feel more awake. And it essentially transitions you from that sleep state to a wakeful state. Uh, It also regulates your metabolism and just kickstarts you into action. Now, This morning spike should decline throughout the day. However, if you do live a particularly stressful life, this probably won't happen. And I don't, I don't just mean like stress at work. I mean like physical stress too. So overexerting the body from too much training with no rest, um, mental stress from things like anxiety, living in fight or flight, um, even fasting, which I'll get into in a minute. All these things can keep cortisol levels elevated and even increase them throughout the day, which is you know, what we want to avoid because this has a knock-on effect on your sleep, your weight, your immune system, digestion, and can actually cause pretty severe health conditions. Um, the biggest contributor to health issues right now is actually chronic stress. So a chronic elevation of cortisol. And, um, you know, we live in such a fast paced society nowadays that I don't think people can even recognize that they're living in fight and flight. And um, I probably won't go down that rabbit hole, (laughs) but there are a few things that we can 
implement to make sure we get that healthy spike in the morning and then the natural decline before we go to bed. So obviously avoiding (laughs) any unnecessary stress first thing in the morning. Um, So that could be things like checking your emails or messages straight away because this kind of increases that need for urgency in the morning. Um, And then I do want to take this opportunity to talk about fasting because fasting has a direct impact on your cortisol levels if it's not used correctly. And it's such a talked about topic at the moment, definitely requires an episode um, dedicated to it because it is very different for men and women. And what I will say is that for men, generally you will do well off fasting, but still you need to assess if it's right for your body at this time, because overfasting in men can induce too much of that stress response and can be, de- can be detrimental to your health. So a really good way to sort of tell is if your sleep is really disrupted and if your hair is thinning um, and you're losing uh, and you're losing hair, this is a clear indication that you should cut back on the amount of fasting you're doing. A healthy fasting protocol um, can actually boost testosterone, boost growth hormone, two hormones, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, and it can help burn fat. And most of these studies with um, these outcomes are actually tested on men. But this advice has been transferred over to women, which isn't good when it comes to our reproductive hormones like progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. We as women work on like a monthly hormonal fluctuation. Men tend to work on a daily one. So we actually have very different ratios as well. And when it comes to fasting and hormones in relation to cortisol, cortisol has a direct effect on these sex hormones. And if fasting is taken to the extreme in women, it can have the opposite effect on things like weight loss, energy, muscle building, mood, all sorts of things. So for women, firstly, do not over fast because fasting induces that stress response and it can make our body feel like it's living in restriction. So if you fast too long, too frequently, it actually does have more damage than good. And this is when we can run into issues like hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is where we lose our monthly cycle. So my my recommendations for women who want to intermittent fast is basically stick to a fasting window of about 12 to 14 hours. I would put 14 hours at the max and no fasting the week of your period. Um, Individual to everyone, see how your body responds to these things. But if you're experiencing cravings, do not fast. And we do tend to experience cravings around the start of our period um, just because we have a spike in our metabolism as well. One thing to avoid is fasted training. And this is where I'm speaking from a personal and professional standpoint. But I was an avid faster who trained fasted. And I genuinely believe this caused all of my hormonal issues. I was living in a constant state of stress. I would have black coffee first thing in the morning and then go and do an intense strength session or a long run. Uh, And black coffee on an empty stomach (laughs) is a recipe for disaster. It's cortisol on cortisol. And what I normally suggest for clients is, okay, let's see if fasting is even suitable for you. AKA, are you experiencing a lot of stress uh, in other areas of your life? And so, you know, stress from work. If so, likely fasting is not going to be for you. 
And this applies for anyone following an intense training program that requires a lot of recovery. Again, fasting probably isn't going to be beneficial for you. However, if you generally have a relatively stress-free life. Fasting on some days can be beneficial for things like autophagy, which is where your cells kind of clean themselves out. Um, And you might be able to fast on days when you're not training or if you're training later on in the day. What you could also do is do less frequent, longer fasts with no activity. So this is something I've really loved and kind of implemented into my health routine is I will do like a 24 hour to 36 fast, 36 hour fast every few months. And during that time, I don't train. I literally don't move. (laughs) So if you're someone right now that is following like a strict fasting protocol and training fasted, my advice would be first assess the level of stress in your life already. If you decide that you might need to cut back on the fasting, you can do things like add some milk to your coffee and have a protein-based snack with it or just breakfast. Um, And that might be just having some high-protein Greek yogurt or a smoothie with some protein powder in. Or on a day that you do want to fast, just like I said, move your training later uh, in the day when you've already got some energy from food. Uh, And this is really hard to assess (laughs) when it comes to hormones because it's all internal. So we can't necessarily gauge what's going on with our hormones, but your body will present symptoms if you're suffering with an imbalance. And, you know, it is super important to address them. So women, the irregularity of your periods and any like PMS symptoms can be a huge indicator that your sex hormones are off. Things like tiredness, fatigue, apathy, that could be a sign that your thyroid hormones are off, which I'll get into later. And then if you're experiencing things like anger or aggression or even the opposite, like a lack of motivation, this could be a clear sign that your testosterone is off. Also, what's your skin looking like? What's your mood like? What's your body composition doing? These are all things we can use to kind of assess what's going on with our hormones. Or as I mentioned at the start, you can just go and get blood tests done. It gets a little bit more complex when we're looking at sex hormones because it will depend on where in the month you're testing. And also cortisol is a really hard one to test because you have to get a saliva test done multiple times throughout the day. But still, it gives you more data than what you're starting with. So going back to cortisol specifically, things you can do to balance and optimize this hormone is obviously going to be implement a stress management tool and things like breath work, meditation, just a mindful practice where you can sit and sort of um, induce a moment of calm in your body. Uh, Allow yourself enough time in the morning because you're already getting that cortisol spike. We don't want to double it. Um, So making sure you're not rushing, even drinking something like water or drinking water (laughs) um, upon waking uh, because dehydration can cause cortisol to be released as well. So we want to make sure that we're really hydrated. Obviously, throughout the night, you're not drinking at all. So you do wake up dehydrated. And then something else you can try is aiming for at least 20 to 30 minutes of sunlight exposure on your skin or in your eyeballs um, can really help. Uh, Obviously not that realistic for most people. Most people don't have that amount of time in the morning, but even if you can get five minutes, um, then that's better than nothing. 
Again, super hard in the UK, especially going into the winter months, but even if it's overcast, just getting out into sunlight can be hugely beneficial. Also for your melatonin levels, which I'll talk about later, um, but it, it, uh, getting sunlight will release serotonin, which is like your happy hormone. So it helps you feel awake. It um, improves your vitamin D absorption, which also helps regulate other hormones and it will prevent um, too much of a cortisol spike. So lots of things you can do for stress and your stress hormone. The next one I want to get into is testosterone. And this is a hormone that plays a vital role in both men and women. It's commonly associated as a male hormone, but women do need it as well um, for various aspects of health, including uh, maintaining muscle mass, bone density, increased mood, um, sexual function. And if we're going through kind of the the order of hormones, testosterone levels tend to peak in the early hours of the morning, like cortisol, usually between about 6am, 8am. And this also is associated with that kind of increase in wakefulness, alertfulness, and energy levels. Um, a few things that we should avoid to make sure that we are not causing ourselves a testosterone imbalance is, again, managing chronic stress, <laughs> avoiding um, being overweight, limiting alcohol intake, the contraceptive pill, don't hate me and please don't stop taking it just because I've said that. Um, I will do an episode on that in itself as well. <laughs> and then avoiding endocrine disruptors. Now, I'm going to get into these now, but it's worth noting these are things that affect all of your hormones. Um, it's kind of in the name, endocrine disruptor. I'm just sneaking it in here um, because it's quite an important one. So endocrine disruptors are chemicals that we're exposed to that can cause imbalances. So please do note though, you don't need to go and live in a hut in the woods, in the middle of nowhere to avoid all contact with these things. Um, I went through a stage of feeling like I needed to do that. But honestly, nowadays it's virtually impossible to avoid these things. Um, so the reason I'm sharing this is for you to just be aware. And if you can minimize your use or exposure, then great. Um, but if you live a generally healthy lifestyle, your body can handle these things to a certain degree. So there's quite a few, but and I'm sure some you've already heard of. But the first one is BPAs, which are found in plastics and food containers, plastic water bottles. So if you use these regularly, you might be better switching to like metal or glass containers just to avoid consuming the BPAs. Uh, the next one is pesticides. And um, I'm sure we've all heard of pesticides. It's what is sprayed on foods. Um, this is why buying organically is better. It's worth noting that even some organic foods do contain pesticides. Um, and I know that's not an option that is available to everyone. If it's not available to you on like a large scale, there are a few foods that you can kind of prioritize to buy organically because these are generally showing higher levels of pesticide contamination. And as of, what year are we? 20, 2023, um, there is, we have something called the Dirty Dozen and these are the 12 foods that you should prioritize to buy organically. And these are strawberries, spinach, kale, nectarines, grapes, pears, peaches, apples, peppers, cherries, 
green beans and blueberries. I feel like you should probably be taking notes if you're not already, um, but you can always come back to these if something sort of makes you think like, oh, okay, I, this is something I, I want to change in my life. Um, so yeah, those are the foods that I really recommend trying to buy organically. Um, the next one is PFCs, uh, and that stands for perfluorinated compounds, which are found in non-stick cookware like Teflon. So actually you're better to use cast iron or ceramic pans and then use some olive oil um, or ghee even. Actually, ghee would be better um, than the olive oil if you're cooking. Um, next one is heavy metals. So certain metals like lead and mercury and lead, um, you know, some people will argue it's in your water supply. It depends where you live. Mercury, avoid the overconsumption of tuna. And I've definitely been a culprit of this. I am obsessed with the tuna, spicy tuna sandwich from Joe and the Juice. At one point I was having it every day and then did have to just check myself because mercury poisoning is a real thing. Um, so yeah, just being conscious of that. Um, the next one is preservatives in cosmetics. And there's a whole host of, of um, chemicals I can read out, but mainly uh, something called phthalates and parabens. Parabens is basically in everything nowadays. I'm actually intolerant to parabens with my eczema, which is maybe a blessing in disguise because it means I have to avoid, <laughs> avoid them. Um, but these can be in any kind of personal care products, cleaning products, even scented candles, cosmetics. Um, there's a, I don't want to like overwhelm you with a list of product, um, chemicals to avoid, but there's a really good app. There's two apps actually, one called Think Dirty and one called Yucca or Yucca, Y-U-K-A, where you can actually scan like the products that you're using. So I would really recommend like, scanning your daily face cream and it will tell you, um, if it contains any like super toxic endocrine disrupting chemicals. Uh, there's also a website called EWG Healthy Living where you can just type in your product. And again, it will tell you tell you the same. Um, but this was a really important one for me. It really made me assess like, okay, what products am I putting on my skin that I really don't need? And where can I go back to using more natural things? I actually use, um, well, not right now in Bali, it's quite hard to get hold of, but beef tallow as a moisturizer. Um, and I wash my face in salt water because that really helps my eczema, but it seems to be doing the job. So, uh, yeah, cutting back on using makeup when you don't necessarily need it, like all small things, if you're willing to kind of um, give them up, <laughs> then it can benefit you. But again, you don't need to be kind of fearful of these things. The next one is certain medical and pharmaceutical compounds. So certain medications can disrupt hormone balances. Um, if you are taking medication, please do not stop because you're listening to this podcast. Uh, it's probably the lesser of two evils. But again, please consult your medical health professional um, if that is something you're concerned with. This is literally information only. I am not prescribing or unprescribing anything and artificial sweeteners uh, studies have shown that these can actually affect our serotonin and dopamine um, which are neurochemicals in the brain and hormones uh, and they actually have a knock-on effect on the whole endocrine system and actually a knock-on effect on your gut microbiome which is closely related to your hormone system so uh, avoiding any artificial sweeteners um, can be beneficial Seed oils, uh, which are found in a lot of processed foods and even in things like store-bought nut milks, sauces, the biggest culprits um, 
And the ones you want to look out for are canola, corn, soy, sunflower, and rapeseed oil, unless it is cold-pressed rapeseed oil. Um, so just things to look out for on the ingredient list. And these basically trigger the body to produce pro-inflammatory chemicals, meaning they actually cause inflammation in the body, which then affects your hormones. So it is just worth checking for foods that you consume regularly. For example, if you have nut milk in your coffee two to three times a day, it might just be worth checking the ingredient list and swapping it for a brand that doesn't contain seed oils. And a really good one I've found uh, is the brand Plenish um, in the UK. I'm sure they sell it in other parts of the world. Um, but yeah, you you know, they're not going to kill you if you if you consume them in small doses. But again, a really easy substitute that you can make just to benefit your hormones. And then the last one is tap water. And this can contain things like lead, microplastics, other bacterias that can really disrupt the hormone system. Uh, so for me, actually switching to to filtered water worked wonders for my skin. I used to have really bad, like verging on like acne um, and cutting out artificial sweeteners and drinking way more filtered water was like game changer for me. So that's all of them. <laughs> I promise it's not all doom and gloom. Our bodies do have an incredible ability to detox itself from these um, chemicals. So it's just being aware to not overconsume and overexpose ourselves because it can have negative effects on effects on our hormone system. Things you can do, going back to our testosterone levels specifically, things you can do is obviously limit yourself to the exposure of things I've just mentioned. Um, but one thing you can add into your life is an adequate intake of healthy fats because testosterone is actually synthesized from cholesterol. So we need cholesterol in our diet. Um, so things like avocados, nuts, seeds, eggs, fatty fish like salmon um, can be really helpful for hormones, especially for females, women, uh, women's hormones. And strength training exercises that build muscle. So ideally weightlifting, but body weight exercises um, can still elicit the same same response, obviously not as, as well. Um, but increasing your muscle mass will support testosterone levels. And then finally, engaging in regular sexual activity will also help maintain your testosterone levels as well. The next hormone or set of hormones that I'm going to get into are your hunger hormones. So your ghrelin and your leptin. And your ghrelin is often referred to as your hunger hormone. It is prim primarily produced in the stomach and released into the bloodstream when your stomach is empty or when you haven't eaten in a while. And it basically just signals to your brain that you're hungry and you need to eat. Leptin is known as the satiety hormone or the fullness hormone. So it's actually produced by fat cells in the body and then released into the bloodstream. And leptin signals to the brain that you're either full or satisfied and then reduces your appetite. Now, leptin levels increase with an increase in body fat. So when you have more body fat, you release more leptin. And this is a mechanism that essentially aims to prevent your body holding on to excess fat. Um, but we can actually develop a resistance to leptin, aka a condition called leptin resistance, which is when the brain doesn't receive accurate signals of fullness um, and energy storage, which will then lead to, annoyingly, an increase in appetite, reduced satiety, and then a tendency to overeat. So 
This is why, as a result, it becomes really challenging to control your food intake, and this can contribute to sort of further weight gain. It is also important to note that leptin is what we call a master circadian signaling hormone. So it's closely related to your circadian rhythm, which is your internal body clock. So if your internal body clock is really out of whack, then uh, you're at higher risk of your leptin levels being off and also leading to leptin resistance. So to avoid this, there are a few things we can do. First is managing your food intake and eating a balanced diet, including all of the macronutrients. So carbs, protein, and healthy fats, because this can just help regulate your ghrelin and leptin levels, making sure that they're sort of optimized. High protein foods in particular actually make you feel fuller and um, can reduce your ghrelin levels, sort of um, not make, making sure you're not hungry anymore. And then eating regular meals. So eating regular, but also well-timed meals will help regulate these hormones. If we skip meals or if we go a long period of time without eating, it actually increases the ghrelin um, hormone and decreases the leptin hormone, making you hungrier and then less satisfied when you do eat. Um, and as they, as I mentioned, they're connected to the circadian rhythm. So managing your circadian rhythm is hugely beneficial, adding some structure to your meal times and eating in accordance to kind of like waking up and bedtime will be hugely beneficial. So this can be done by living in alignment with the sun and the moon. And I don't mean that in a super wooey way. I simply mean like waking up when the light is up when the sun comes up, going to sleep when the sun comes down and the moon comes out. Um, and also eating in alignment with that as well. So eating your breakfast when you first wake up and then avoiding eating your dinner when the, when it's already dark, which again is quite hard in the social society that we live in. Um, you don't want to be having your dinner at four o'clock in the UK. So again, it's like managing what you can do, what you can implement and not stressing too much if it's not uh, sort of reasonable for you. Um, things you can avoid to prevent an imbalance in these two hormones is lack of sleep because sleep loss uh, negatively impacts uh, those hormones, has the same effect as leaving too long between meals where your ghrelin um, is raised and your leptin is dropped. So you're hungrier and less satisfied when you eat. So if you can prioritize anything, it's getting seven to eight hours of sleep every night and being super, super diligent with it. Okay, next hormone is insulin. And this is very much talked about at the moment. <laughs> um, it's very controversial topic, but it is essentially the hormone that is released after eating. It is released to help regulate blood sugar levels by allowing the cells to take in the glucose that we then use for energy in the body. Um, so this essentially ensures that your body has a steady source of energy. Um, it's released in higher amounts when consuming carbohydrates. And like I said, it's getting a bit of a bad rep at the moment. And I'm actually noticing with a few clients that they're you know, scared to eat a piece of fruit out of the fear that the sugar content might spike their blood sugar levels too high. Um, but we do actually want a spike to some degree because the insulin is the thing that provides us with the energy. It regulates our appetite and it actually interacts with other hormones um, to keep a really healthy balance throughout the whole body. 
What we do want to avoid is those huge spikes that then lead to huge crashes because obviously this doesn't help energy levels um, and it can actually make us hungrier when it drops super quickly and you can become what we call insulin resistant, similar to leptin resistance, meaning that your body doesn't respond to the signals anymore. And this tends to happen in people who are overweight um, or obese. So things we can avoid um, to prevent these super high spikes into crashes is basically avoiding a super high simple sugar diet on a regular basis. So avoiding things like fruit juice, fizzy drinks, um, sweets, Every now and again is fine. You just have to anticipate you might have that huge energy crash. Um, but what you actually want to do if you are having these foods is pair them with some fiber, fat or protein to prevent the high spike because it just means it's um, the digestion of these sugars is absorbed slower in combination of your fiber, fat and protein. So for example, save the sweets after you've had a balanced meal Uh, have some peanut butter with your fruit or even some yogurt, some high protein yogurt or full fat yogurt, um, or even just having a handful of nuts. I would avoid fizzy drinks in general anyway, just because of the, all of the other stuff that um, it contains is is not great for you. Things you can do um, to make sure that your insulin levels are balanced is prioritize complex carbs over the simple sugars. So that's things like rice, sweet potato, vegetables, uh, bread, these things naturally, or whole whole wheat bread, um, these things naturally contain more fiber, so have less of a spike. Um, eating just generally balanced meals. So when you're looking at your plate of food, have you got a fat source? Have you got a protein source? Have you got good vegetable and fiber sources? And have you also then got the carbohydrate um, source? Portion control is huge. So bigger meals will elicit more of an insulin release. So actually tuning into your own personal hunger cues, stop when you're full um, and don't over consume in short periods of time, um, short periods of time that will stop your insulin levels raising too high. One thing you can try, um, and this is so funny because this I feel like this is like advice that goes against everything our parents told us when we were younger, but actually exercising after eating can bring down a spike and minimize the height of the spike. Um, So I don't mean like anything intense, even just like a short walk, 10 minutes after eating can really help. Um, I used to always be told not to go swimming and maybe swimming's a bit different because I always got told I would sink. Um, But yeah, just doing something that is using your muscles um, and using that glycogen will stop there being too much glucose just swimming around in your bloodstream. And then finally, again, I'm going to say it, getting enough sleep. So um, when we lack sleep, this can contribute towards that insulin resistance that I mentioned, uh, where again, the glucose isn't absorbed properly and it just swims around in your bloodstream. There is actually a supplement you can take um, called berberine, which can minimize insulin spikes. But I would say that you're far better to avoid it (laughs) from the from the um, from the root cause, then try and like damage control a spike afterwards with a supplement. Um, go do your own research. Um, check out Andrew Huberman's advice on berberine. He's probably the go-to man on all sorts of supplements. Um, but if you are someone that contains a super high sugar diet, then that is something you can 
implement as a supplement to kind of prevent the spike. The next hormone I'm going to talk about or hormones are your thyroid hormones, so your T3 and your T4. And these hormones help regulate metabolism, uh, your energy expenditure, uh, your body temperature, and again, just ensure that all of your body functions are working throughout the day. These are released kind of according to your own individual body's needs, and they can be dysfunctional if you either have too much of one, too little of the other, um, or if there is an issue in the conversion from T4 to T3. So T3 is actually the only active hormone, but we have to convert the T4 into the T3. Um, so if that conversion isn't working properly, then you're going to have dysfunctional thyroid hormones. Now, I have had my own experience with thyroid hormones and it really wasn't um it really wasn't a fun time i really think it was closely related to any feelings of depression and apathy um and honestly i really think a lot of people are experiencing issues with their thyroid nowadays um it's almost kind of considered normal now i was experiencing an underactive thyroid so a condition called hypothyroidism um there's an overactive thyroid, which is hyperthyroidism. And I went to see an endocrinologist. He told me it was likely an issue with my pituitary gland, which is where our thyroid stimulating hormone is released. You don't necessarily need to know all of this. I'm just giving you kind of the context. And apparently this is super common in overtrained female athletes because the stress that is put on your pituitary gland means that these hormones aren't produced properly. So I was put on thyroxine, which is an artificial version of um, T3 and T4. So you're kind of artificially feeding your body the hormones that it needs. Um, and I did feel better for a while. My energy was um, a lot better, but with that, I was then experiencing anxiety, irregular heartbeats. I actually gained weight. Um, I realized that I was actually just trying to treat the symptoms and not actually addressing the cause. So working with this functional medicine doctor, I stopped taking the thyroxine. I cut back on my training and guys, I feel so much better. Um, and that is just my experience. I'm not giving you advice on what to do with thyroxine. Um, as always, please go see your endocrinologist. Um, but it was just a really important reminder for me to like treat your body from within instead of trying to um, externally fix it with something else. So going back to thyroid, uh, thyroid hormones, things you can avoid to make sure um, that you're not causing yourself an imbalance is avoid low carb diets because you actually need carbs for the conversion of T3, sorry, conversion of T4 to T3. Um, cutting down on raw cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and kale um, because these can interfere with the production of your T3 and your T4. Funnily enough, when you cook them or you steam them, it's not so bad. And then gluten-free diets are supposedly better if you're already struggling with an underactive thyroid. I'm not saying go gluten-free if you're not experiencing any issues. It's totally fine to eat gluten. Um, and then also intense and prolonged exercise combined with an inadequate caloric intake can really fuck up your thyroid. Um, so if your energy availability is super low, then your thyroid's not gonna be functioning properly. So things that you can do, or things that you can add into your life um, is first ensuring you're getting enough 
iodine, selenium and zinc in your diet. Just be careful with iodine, you can overdose <laughs> on it. So if that's something you're interested in um, taking, please do your own research and um, make sure it's okay for you. Uh, these are just obviously essential for your thyroid function and you can get that from things like seafood, nuts, uh, Brazil nuts, super, super high in selenium, seeds uh, and dairy products are great as well. And then if you can consume foods that are rich in vitamin D and vitamin A um, and get that from things like fatty fish, eggs and again, dairy products, then you are getting all of the minerals that you need to really optimise your thyroid. It is worth noting that a dysfunctional thyroid can be a result of a medical condition. So if you have an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's, this advice isn't really going to help you. That's down to something a lot more severe. Um, but symptoms that you can kind of look for for your thyroid, um, if you have an underactive thyroid, the symptoms that we're looking for are sort of chronic fatigue, dry skin, weight gain, always feeling cold, achy muscles, and then... Uh, on the opposite opposite side, if we're looking at an overactive thyroid, we're looking at kind of jitters, rapid weight loss, increased heartbeat, feeling hot the whole time. Um, but there's also um, a genetic factor to this as well. So um, worth <laughs> noting if there are any thyroid issues in your family, then um, that could be what is affecting your personal thyroid. The next hormone I want to get into is growth hormone. Now, growth hormone typically increases during sleep, but I'm going to mention it a little bit earlier on in the day um, because you do get small pulses that occur, particularly if you are physically active or lifting weights and growth hormone stimulates cell growth, essentially. So in tissues like your muscles, your skin, your internal organs, and it enhances protein synthesis and helps build and repair muscle tissue. So super helpful hormone if you are a physically active person. As an adult, there aren't many things that you kind of could experience to cause low production of growth hormone. Having said that, the main culprit is alcohol. So uh, avoiding alcohol, especially close to your training, and this is where I think so many people uh, maybe get it wrong and they go for an intense training session before they're going out for dinner and actually then consuming a few cocktails is getting in the way of the mechanisms that you need in the body to promote that muscle growth and that recovery. So it's just something to be mindful of. Um, and then obviously things you can do is saying it again, <laughs> sleep, um, because the more sleep you get, the more uh, your growth hormone levels are going to be optimised. Some studies at the moment are suggesting that exposure to temperature extremes can be helpful as well. So like saunas or ice baths, um, they can stimulate a growth hormone release, but probably an area that needs a little bit more research before you go and um, thinking it's the holy grail of growth hormone optimization. So um, if you're doing those things already, then great, but don't worry too much um, if that's something you can't make time for. The last one I'm going to talk about is melatonin because this is the hormone that is uh, released just before we go to sleep. Um, it is obviously referred to as the sleep hormone and as evening approaches, our melatonin starts to rise, signaling, signaling to the body that it's time to wind down and essentially prepare for sleep. Uh, it gradually increases after sunset and then actually re reaches a peak 
in the middle of the night, typically around like 2 a.m. Um, so it is very in sync with the transition from light to dark and is highly influenced by this, which is kind of what I mentioned earlier about getting sunlight in the morning can help the decrease in melatonin in the morning, which is what we want. Um, so in an ideal world, after the sun sets, we wouldn't be exposed to any light, particularly artificial light. But obviously nowadays that isn't really the case. Um, but here's what you can do to kind of optimize your melatonin production is actually get natural light during the day because it can just optimize the whole melatonin cycle. And if you can get outside at short periods of time, especially if you like work in a dark office, um, then super beneficial. If you're using devices late at night, you could look into getting some blue light blockers. I know they're kind of the craze at the moment, but they really are beneficial for your melatonin. If you're someone that really struggles to sleep, then this is probably something for you. Um, or you could just try and minimize uh, any blue light exposure from your devices, um, screens, about an hour before you go to bed. It's kind of better than nothing. Um, you can also take a supplement called Cherry Active, which contains melatonin. There are also like, melatonin pure supplements, um, but I would say these are probably better for like short-term use. Again, addressing the root cause is far better than relying on something else um, that you then might you know, not be able to get off. Uh, and then obviously avoiding that light um, throughout the night as well. So if you have any like alarm clocks with a super bright light on, cover them or just turn it off or just take it out, try and find a, um, not a digital <laughs> alarm clock. And then a really random one, but if you turn the lights on when you go and pee in the middle of the night, this can actually stop your melatonin production and almost kickstart that cortisol release that you get first thing in the morning. So you're kind of artificially inducing that wake response, which you don't want if you are going to be going back to sleep. Um, so stumbling around in the dark is probably actually a better option for you if you're being super sensitive on your melatonin. And then getting natural light first thing in the morning, not na not artificial light, is way better. So getting outside, getting that sunlight into your eyeballs um, before you even look at your phone or look at your laptop is going to help your melatonin far better um, than if you are straight onto your phone first thing to check, even just to like check the time. Obviously, there are some really crucial hormones that I've not gone into, like your estrogen and your progesterone. But like I said, those are very, very specific to <laughs> individuals. Um, for women, these fluctuate throughout the month and these are so different at like different stages of life. So it does really, really require an episode in itself. But just to recap the ones I have mentioned, um, my favorite practices for healthy hormones are stress reduction protocols like meditation, breath work, moments of mindfulness, even fucking dancing first thing in the morning. If that's what you need to relieve some stress, that can be hugely beneficial. Getting a good sleep schedule, so seven to eight hours per night. Exercising to build muscle for your testosterone and growth hormone, but when you're not fasted. <laughs> uh, morning sunlight first thing, as I mentioned quite a few times. Uh, eating in accordance to that sunrise and that sunset, including lots of healthy fats like um, raw olive oil, salmon, avocado, full fat dairy, ghee, nuts, seeds, all those sorts of things. Uh, and then supplements that you can 
use in your routine. Um, things like zinc, magnesium, selenium, vitamin C and vitamin D are super essential for all hormone functions. Um, and the easiest thing for you to remember is just meat, dairy, fruit, I suppose leafy greens, even dark chocolate. Um, if you don't eat those things, you can take a ZMA supplement, which is zinc, magnesium and B6. I take one every night and it's been hugely beneficial for my sleep. And I really think we live in a society now that is lacking in magnesium. If you are an active person and you sweat a lot, this is crucial for your um, for your overall health. And actually one supplement I didn't mention earlier, if you are a highly stressed person or you experience a lot of anxiety, um, you can take something called ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen. So it basically um, helps lower the stress in your body and how your body responds to stress and cortisol. Just don't take it first thing in the morning because we actually, as I've mentioned, we want that cortisol spike in the morning and don't take it after training um, because we almost need the body to be slightly inflamed after training to invoke that uh, recovery process. So I actually recommend taking ashwagandha at night if you are going to take it. And then to recap the main things to avoid, uh, chronic stress, whether that comes in the mental or physical form, low calorie diets and low carb diets, fasted training, lack of sleep over a long period of time. One night of bad sleep is not going to kill you. What you might notice though is the next day you're super hungry and less satisfied, but over a longer period of time, um, sleep loss will have a really detrimental effect on a lot of your hormones. And then avoiding things, <laughs> classic things like alcohol, smoking, and all of the endocrine and um, chemical disruptors that I've mentioned the best way to look at it is like the more natural the product, the better it will be for you. Um, and then the last one is avoiding artificial lights the best you can at night. And hopefully that this has kind of given you an explanation as to why we should avoid artificial lights. I think there's this huge topic at the moment being spoken about, about, you know, blue light blockers and exposure to screens. And I, I never really understood until I got into health coaching and looking into hormones, I never really understood kind of what effect it was having. I was like, oh, it's just, you know, mentally keeping me awake, but it is affecting us on a far deeper level. So I think that wraps it up for today. Like I said, there's a lot more I could say. Um, I didn't want to overwhelm you with too many too many different strategies, but hopefully you can take something from this and implement it into your life. Give me any feedback if you do feel any better. Um, and as always, I am here if you want to reach out with any questions or if you are interested in working with me to delve deeper into your health and your habits and in this case, your hormones, uh, then I would love the opportunity to chat with you. Um, hopefully, this has been helpful and I really, really look forward to catching up with you guys in the next one. All right, team, take care.